Well, God bless you guys. Happy Father's Day to the ones that that applies to. Amen. Amen. I want to I want to talk to the dads, and and it's funny because probably most of the dads are out in the aquarium because trying to get you know young fathers trying to get the family together and wife, and you get here late and. Folks that don't have kids or kids have grown and moved on, got here early, and you didn't have a chance. Yeah. But um, I want to talk to dads because, um, you know, I, I was reflecting this morning on what a wonderful father I had. I, he wasn't perfect. No, there isn't a, a perfect father on the planet. But I, I just kept thinking to myself how often I refer or think of my dad in difficult times and think, you know, kind of what would he be doing or what would he do or how would he handle this? And then... I find my mind filled with wisdom that he's imparted to me um, in the years that he was on this earth. And I miss him. Um, but then I also reflected too, a, a number of us don't get good dads. We get, we get kind of gypped. You, know, you don't get to pick the parents you get in this world. But you can pick the kind of parent you want to be. You can't, you can't use bad parents to make an excuse for being a bad parent. Because um, God has a way of mending that. And I was thinking of, of two situations in my life. And by the way, if you're being bothered by kids crying, don't be. It's Father's Day. Um, <clears throat> and they're actually commenting, saying, I really like this message, Rob. You don't understand. <laughs> but I, I, I was reflecting on two folks that have been kind of gypped on parents. One is a very dear friend of mine. And his dad left his mom and his brother when he was young and just took off, left him in a trailer in Oklahoma, took off for Louisiana, and left him behind. And he was bitter and hurt. Um, his, his, his brother ended up dying of, of just drug use. And, um, and he struggled through life. And he, he tried to find solace in anything you could ingest, whether it be alcohol or pills or anything else, and just found him uh, self-going where, you know, you don't want to be, and found yourself enslaved and struggling in life. And, and, and his father actually took off to Louisiana, married another woman, actually um, make, you know, just really hit you hard. He, he ends up marrying the beauty queen of Louisiana and has two kids by her, and they're the real kids. And he's, he's the half-brother, but he's not a real such-and-such, such, meaning the last name. And they would despise him, and, and then make it worse. The father ended up doing really well and becoming very successful and was very, very rich. And, and the, the half-siblings let him know, you have nothing in this family. And that hurt. And the, the dad ended up dying, but when he was on his deathbed, my friend had come to Christ. I met him as he was walking with the Lord, and he's, he's a wonderful servant of Christ. And he realized he wasn't given a great earthly father, but he never grew up with bitterness. He ended up getting a, a real dad, and that was Jesus, God the Father, He's a father to the fatherless, and, and he guided my friend and, and blessed him as a husband <clears throat> and as, a, as an earthly father and an amazing friend. I love this man. And, and the Lord wants us to, 
in the snow and he was freezing to death and as a young boy he'd have to drag him in. They never lived in one house very long because he could never hold a job and they moved from city to city. But you never heard Reagan say anything bad about his father. Winston Churchill had a terrible dad. His dad ended up dying of syphilis. He pretty much slept with every woman in England. He was an awful man. Um, Considered Winston Churchill to be retarded. The man who saved Western civilization. (laughs) Randolph Churchill would would farm him off to a, a boarding school. And would never see him. He would be right next door and wouldn't even stop in to see his son. Didn't, didn't even care that he lived. And Churchill never said anything poorly about his father. And the Lord says, honor your mother and father. And that's a tough thing to do because <clears throat> you really got to dig deep to find things to honor him for. But I noticed with my friend whose father had basically abandoned him and his mother and his brother ended up dying. And he's watching his dad lived with another family that doesn't want anything to do with him. And he's impoverished and they're very, very rich. He, he ended up giving that to the Lord and, and loving his dad and saying thank you. And being able to forgive. And let me just tell you something about forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. Some of you are hurt, like physically, by your folks, emotionally. And dads can be rough. Um, especially if they were raised that way and then they act that way. And, and to forgive means you don't forget. You can't get that out of your mind. But it means putting the consequences of what they did in the hands of the Lord so that you can move on with your life. You don't have to lay awake wanting revenge. Because that, that doesn't do you any good. And, and unforgiveness is a poisonous pill you swallow while you wait for the person you hate to die. To die. They, they, you're letting them live in your head rent free. Just give that to the Lord and move on. And to forgive them means I now, I don't have to lay awake wanting justice for you because you're going to get it. You're in the hands of the living God. And now when I, when I interact with you, I'm doing it solely on the basis of, you know, you, you have no emotional tie to me because <clears throat> the Lord's taken that. And I, I witnessed that with my friend. And when his dad was dying and the kids were set to inherit this vast fortune, tens of millions of dollars, and he was left nothing in the will, zero. Nothing. And he went to his father's deathbed while he was dying. He didn't go, you didn't leave me any, he didn't do that. I'm your oldest son, why didn't you? He didn't do that. He said, Dad, how can I serve you? How can I serve the person who's been responsible for the most pain I've ever experienced in all my life? His father didn't know what to do with that. He just said, it's a good name and you've done well with it and I'm, I'm proud of you. He never said that to him. And then my friend proceeded to share with him about the Lord, shared with him about Christ and led his father to Christ before he died. And they opened the will and he was left Nothing. And you know, my friend said, I was given the the greatest thing, a good name. And he saw what his father provided. He was a businessman, he knew how to do things. Obviously he heard him. But then I also, in the last part is this, I reflect on my own mother. 
Um, my, my son Daniel, uh, Michelle and I went to name him, and my mother, when I called her, said, no grandchild of mine will be named Daniel. She hung up the phone. And I, I just, I called her back. I go, you can't do that. I mean, God gave us this name, and you're like, what's going on? No child And she goes, I'm only going to tell you this once. I go, well, good. What is it? She said, what's your grandfather's name? I go, I don't know. You never talk about him. I, I, I didn't even know you, I had one, quite honestly. She said his name was Daniel Frank McKee. And he was the most awful man who ever lived. And no grandchild of mine will ever be named Daniel. I said, Mom, God told us his name's going to be Daniel. It's a name. It doesn't mean everyone on the planet doesn't get to use that name anymore. Because whoever this guy was hurt you. And she hung up again. I'll never forget when Daniel was born and she held him in her arms. And she just kept saying his name. It was almost cathartic. You could see an emotional thing happening there. And I, I don't know what my grandfather ever did to my grandmother, excuse me, to my mother, or my grandmother for that matter. I, I, the most awful man who ever lived is quite a title, especially given to him by his daughter, his only daughter. I, I can't imagine, but I know this. My mom was a good mom she didn't allow bitterness to rule her life. She loved Daniel, used his name, called him by that name. And that tells me she knows how to forgive. And so I just want to say to those of you who had lousy dads, you got a good one. It's God the Father. And, and he, he can fix that. You got to let him. And that comes with forgiveness. That doesn't mean forgetting. That means putting it in his hands. Trust dad. And then lastly, I want to talk to dads who have been estranged and separated from their kids for for no reason other than someone else is bitter or there's issues. And, and this is a world where we're seeing parental isolation and it's, it's aggravating. And, and your kids have, have been led to believe that you don't love them. And, and Satan's a liar and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to destroy the family and those relationships. And kids need a dad and he just he wants to poison the water hole. You be patient. The fervent, faithful prayers of a righteous man accomplish great things. Do not give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Pursue those kids. Love on them. Pray for them. They'll come back in due time, and the Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten. I guarantee it. I promise you. God works all things together for good. You may not see it now, but you trust the Lord. He'll bring that about. And then, lastly, for all of you who had good dads like I did, boy, the world could sure use some more of those. And I have to tell you, Pound for pound, the representation in this fellowship, there are some amazing fathers in this church. I, I am blown away by the caliber of men. And, and the, the world is struggling to identify male and female. There's more. What a real man is. We've, we've feminized. But there's some amazing men. And I'm, I'm proud to be among you. When my son, son's turned 13, I took him on a walkabout <clears throat> where they become men from 13 and, and I took him to a graveyard and the whole bit. But the last thing I did that day is I surrounded them with men who are my friends who speak into my life. 
And I told my son each time, both sons, but they were there several times, I told them, this man is my friend because, and this is what I glean from him, and this is his wisdom. And this, because the world of being a man is mysterious to a boy. Because we don't communicate with words, we grunt and nod. <laughs> and, and they were witnessing this. <laughs> And you welcome them into the world of, of being a man, and which comes with being a provider and a protector. It's a calling from God. And it, it doesn't mean that you're now the authority on the earth, and you can turn to the woman who has entrusted her life. And yesterday I officiated a wedding, and, and this, this woman takes on this man's name. Her last name is gone. She takes on his name and assumes his identity in that sense. She lays her life down. And the, the Bible says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. You live long on the earth. And I was thinking about this picture of men speaking into the lives of, of my sons and, and how it just made them men. And they, they, they walked taller. And they were welcomed, welcomed, and, and I think we need more men. Because there's a lot of amazing women out there waiting for that guy. And you be patient. I see your hand, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> you be patient. You rest in the Lord, he brings you to each other. <clears throat> Although men... A man who finds a good wife, or finds a wife, finds a good thing. So start looking. Um, but, but, you know, take responsibility. Start being a provider and a protector. And, and this is the last one. My wife, it's Father's Day. I get the privilege to speak. I'm a father. It's my day. <clears throat> I, I may be the head, but she's the neck. And what I mean by that is, wives, submit to your uh, husband's that's voluntary. It's a willingness. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I willingly lay it, lay it down. God the Father said, for I so love the world, I gave my son. You may have given him, but he willingly agreed. My wife entered into this covenant of marriage, willing to lose Michelle Coletti and become Michelle McCoy for 31 years. And as I watched yesterday officiating the service and seeing that, I, I thought to myself, A weak man is someone who has to turn and say, woman, submit. Do you, do you realize she, she has, she's doing that out of a willingness. And the authority you possess is given by God. And you're so, so weak in your relationship with him that you're speaking that way to her. And by the way, ladies, there's no man on the planet we're submitting to. But the problem is, God is worth submitting to, and he told you to submit to the man. So take it up with the Lord. <laughs> and you can actually look at that guy and say, you know, Lord, I'm doing this because of you. <laughs> and he's like, I know. And that's why I'm here today. Because there were times where I was anything but a, a loving husband and a loving father. But there was a woman for 31 years of my life who looked at me and, and saw me as bigger than life. And respected me and honored me and it just inspired me and has blessed me and 
If I'm a good father, it's, it's, there's only one reason. It's because God gave me an amazing wife. And I, I just say that because, ladies, you have no idea the power of your words. They're, they're just as effective for destroying the man as they are for lifting him up. In the times where I was the worst, she would just turn to me. She'd say, you know, we just miss you. I mean, she could have just said, we're living in a dump. You don't make any money. You're never here. No. He just, we miss you. Your words are powerful. Very powerful. And they help us become good fathers. And you're inspiring. And then dads, the, the best way to become a dad is to show the kids how to love your wife. So, happy Father's Day. I got all that in. <laughs> Didn't expect that sermon, so there you go. <clears throat> And, and the reason why I did that is because it's two messages, because I'm, I'm going through the Anchored series, and we're in Deuteronomy, and it's, it's going to be a, a, a law school uh, sermon. Um, you're going to have to go through legal studies this morning, because we're in Deuteronomy 19. So if you have a Bible, open up to Deuteronomy 19, um, and they'll be passing out Bibles. Just raise your hand. They'll give you one. By the way, uh, James Lindsay, Dr. Lindsay, is going to be here first, second, and third service on Sunday. He will not be here. I just found this out. He will not be here Saturday night, but he will be here for the three services on Sunday. All right, Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19. This is a fascinating passage. It's one that requires the testimony of two or three witnesses. And also it deals with um, property lines. I think we're all glad that we have property lines and nobody can rip you off. And a lot of us have strayed from an understanding of Deuteronomy and it's time we awaken to it. And today I really believe God wants to bless you and and it may seem legal in its study but we're gonna go through American history and a number of things and we're all gonna do it in time. Even with the baby dedication, you're gonna leave on time so if you're hungry, don't freak out. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 19, beginning at verse 14. I'll read out loud. You can follow along silently. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses. The matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry and indeed if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Lord, we thank you for your word, and Lord, as we come to the fifth book of the Pentateuch and realize that you have for us civil law, that which even our founders saw the wisdom and necessity of, that to be a free society, we must be a society that is governed by laws of truth. We thank you for due process, 
Lord, we take it for granted where it comes from and why it exists. But yet, Lord, we know when we have been violated and when that due process has not been extended. And Lord, we're in a day and age where we're straying from these gifts you've given us of a society of the wise restraints that make men free. This guardian that points us to Christ until faith comes, this law. Lord, thank you for Deuteronomy 19. I pray that you would awaken all who are present this morning and allow us to see the great gift you've given us in a constitutional republic that values due process and the history and the way in which they received it and applied it that we have experienced more freedom in 244 years than any other nation in the history of the world. So bless us now, Lord, we pray. Lead us into all truth, we ask. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, grab a seat. You know, you go to the, the county recorder, you can find out your property lines, disputes, you purchase something, you say, get off my property, how do you know it's your property? And you got those little tabs that are in the concrete, and you go, well, my property line begins here and ends here. And that was set there, and it's recorded in the county. It's, it's my property. I have deed and title to it. Now get off. I am the sovereign of this area. Now, without all that, you defend yourself. Peace through fire superiority. They come to take it, you defend it. You want in? Good luck. And yet, you read verse 14, you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. We're grateful for private property. The government should not infringe upon life, liberty, or property. The 14th Amendment is clear about that. We'll study it momentarily. And we, we go in and we'll even see in other amendments that this is the case. And we're also to be given a trial by jury. Where did all this come from? Why do we have boundaries? Why do we have lot lines? Because it's right here in Deuteronomy. You think that, that this just, just happened? We have neglected the Pentateuch. We had the moral law that's given us civil law and our nation that we have enjoyed its freedoms for 244 plus years, coming up to 245 on July 4th. And you don't know where it came from and we don't teach this anymore. We don't educate our children in this concept. But the due process that we all appreciate, and by the way, due process is also, it means that you get a fair trial. And if someone's going to make an accusation against you, it can't be spectral evidence, and we'll cover that momentarily. It means that they have to be honest witnesses. So when, when I was up for contempt charges because I violated the restraining order, and a thousand of you were named in it, although none of you got the deal, I had to go to court. And they named me, and they put me up as a witness, and you never put a witness up who's guilty um, in his own case. But our attorney's brilliant, and we did that. And, and, but, but this was the part that got me. Before I ever got into the witness stand, the county brought their expert witnesses, the health officers that parked out here and listed every one of your violations in copious notes and pictures and cameras watching you hug. And they listed what the violations were and they, they observed you that Sunday and the following Sunday. And they were testifying as health officers of the county. And they were calling me and you guilty. 
And they were the witnesses. Based on due process of what we're reading in Deuteronomy 19. And what's fascinating is those health officers parked in the parking lot took copious pictures and uh, notations about all of your violations, including my own. And you think we close the curtains because we want people to not see the sunshine. (laughs) They're coming to get you. But what's interesting is a couple came to visit and the church was so crowded that they parked out there and listened to the FM broadcast that we do. And while they parked, they parked next to these health officials. They thought it fascinating. They were getting out, taking pictures, taking copious notes. And when they get out, they put the mask on. When they get back in, they take the mask off. And so our attorney asked them these questions and said, is this the law? Yes, it is. And six feet, yes, social distancing. Yes, you're not allowed to not wear a mask in the presence of anyone other than your family, okay? And you've always honored this, always have honored it. You've never violated, never violated it. And you took notations of all the violations of the congregants, yes. And, and, and you swear that this is the truth, I do. Is this a picture of you sitting next to a person without your mask, shoulder to shoulder in your car? Yes. Is this your relative? No. Co-worker? Yes. Oh, you've perjured yourself. But that wasn't it. Next witness comes up. Expert witnesses from the county. They testify having taken copious notes and they show and they're ready to do that. And the same question is asked of them. And do you know that that same couple that visited just by sheer blessing of the Lord parked next to the people again? And they were two different folks and they did the exact same thing. And they took a picture and we had it. We go, is that you? Because you're a liar. And the judge still allowed their testimony. Is that justice? Not according to the scriptures. And so, as we come to this place, this law concerning witnesses, it's critical. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses a matter shall be established. And it's not the first place where this occurred. Numbers 35, these things shall be a statute of judgment to you through your generations and all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. Deuteronomy 17 earlier chapter, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. And the consequences if you are a false witness is what we find in the last portion of what we read that what's going to happen to you if you're lying is what you wanted to happen to the person that you're trying to entrap. And so people don't lie because we're prone to that. God gave us a system of laws, the wise restraints that make men free, not because we could obtain perfection, but we're sinners and we need to live together in the constraints provided so that we don't devour one another and steal property and move the property lines and the stones at night. We record them because people take advantage of people. You say, well, that's Old Testament. It doesn't apply to New Testament. Yes, it does. Matthew 18, Jesus said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more that by the mouth are two or three witnesses, every word may be established. He quoted exactly out of the passage we're reading. John 8 is interesting because they were 
saying, you, you can't bear witness of yourself. Your, your witness is not true. You, you need two or three witnesses. And Jesus answered in John 8, starting with verse 13, says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. So you judge according to the flesh, and I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me, It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So it's like, bam, there you go. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) The idea is the commands that we're reading here in Deuteronomy 19 are important foundations for human society. The right to personal property is, is one that we cherish and value. And, and if, if states are not, or I, I, this one author says, God has clearly entrusted certain possessions to certain individuals and other people or states are not permitted to take that property without due process of law. A lot of you were frustrated, and, and I, we all love open space. I do too. I, and honestly, I, I, I'm not even contending for what's to be built on the property by 101 in Borchard. Not even contending. But I do have a problem when a supervisor uses an, a, a, an easement. And I was mayor pro tem, I went back to Washington lobbying, found out from the Army Corps of Engineers that that's way out of line. And, and they used it to devalue the property and then that same supervisor sits on the Santa Monica Mountain Conservancy, devalues the land and then they send out a newsletter and then have meetings that violate the Brown Act to take the property, that's, that's stealing someone's life, liberty, or property without due process. You don't weaponize government. They, they, they operate by our consent and they're confined by these aspects of the Pentateuch which have found themselves in common Western law. We protect boundaries and property lines and you can't steal someone's property. You can't weaponize government to do that. You may be upset that I'm defending an individual and if you hate me and you leave, fine. All I'm doing is obeying the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, we'll take a look at it momentarily. You'll see what I mean, and I'll jump through this quickly. You wonder where all these laws come from and what I'm invoking. 14th Amendment, 6th Amendment, what are you talking about? Well, there's 27 amendments in the, to the U.S. Constitution. We have the Bill of Rights of first 10. There's seven articles to the U.S. Constitution. You're saying, what's the point of that? You'll see. You see, you're living in a nation. You need to understand its history. The Bible was the most authoritative and accessible book of the 18th century America. Christian and skeptic alike appealed to the Bible in support of their arguments. The founders who drafted the Constitution appealed to Scripture more frequently than any other source. Contemporary scholars routinely discount or dismiss the Bible. The American Revolution was sandwiched between the First and Second Great Awakenings And the Bible played a significant part in the revolution or the war of independence. The founders looked to the Bible for insights into civic order and civic virtue. And they believed that the Bible offered ways to resist tyrannical government and choose righteous rulers. And that's Daniel Dreisbach. He is a PhD. He's a doctor. He teaches at Houston University, I believe it is. Phenomenal historian, constitutional historian. If you don't want to believe me, read his works and look at his citations, which are all noted in his work. That's not opinion. So, so take this name down, Google it, go look at his works. In case some of you are going, oh, I don't believe that. Okay, well then study. 
Because the idea of justice being blind is you're holding that up and it, it weighs itself based on evidence. And the sword is truth. It's the only offensive weapon, the sword of scripture. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's able to, to divide. And it speaks. And it, 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 it slays deception. There's no, no desire to allow that to exist. The founders who drafted the Constitution appealed to Scripture more frequently than any other source. That was what scholar Donald Luntz said. He identified one-third of the citations in the literature of the founders as being from the Bible. Again, he's a doctor, Ph.D. Deuteronomy was the most frequently cited book, cited more often than the most quoted secular source, which was Montesquieu. Deuteronomy was frequently cited because it is a digest of the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, exerted an enormous influence on the colonists. It was used to develop political and legal institutions. Americans believe that Deuteronomy was a guide for them as it had been for Moses. So you thought you were coming just to study Deuteronomy, why bother? Because now you get to understand the great gift you've been given for 244 years in a constitutional republic that was founded in the scriptures that you have open right now. That is fascinating. Thank God for that. Dreisbach goes on, he says, the Judeo-Christian idea of covenant influenced the idea of constitutionalism. The doctrine of original sin prompted such political doctrines as the idea of checks and balances and limited government, the rule of law, due process of law, which we're studying today, and representative government were all influenced by the belief in the biblical doctrine of original sin and the resulting distrust of power in the hands of rulers. He goes on to say, the colonists saw a model of republicanism, stop, look at me, for those of you who are triggered by that word, it's not the party. It's a form of government. It means representative form of government. Republic. Just, if you're a Democrat, don't get worried about it. it it's, okay? Just don't. Stay with me. Come on. Stay with me. The colonists saw a model of republicanism and due process of law in the Bible, especially Exodus 23, which offers rules and examples of impartial justice. Separation of powers, the colonists found in Deuteronomy 16, 17, and 18. The biblical offices of prophet, priest, and king influence a doctrine of separation of powers. The Bible certainly influenced specific parts of the Constitution. For example, Sabbath keeping resulted in accepting, exempting uh, Sundays from the days counted in which the president had to veto bills, while the Constitution's treatment of treason and, uh, and witnesses are influenced by the biblical mandate that only one witness is insufficient to sentence someone to death. It comes out of our passage. There was an election sermon of the period that said that in Jewish government, the original constitution was a perfect republic, divinely inspired. For John Adams, the Bible was an indispensable handbook for Republican citizenship. John Adams considered virtue and morality necessary for Republican government. Religion is necessary for virtue and morality. And that, therefore, religion is necessary for Republican government. The people must be controlled by virtue within rather than the whip and the rod. The idea is, I do it because God tells me to, and that's why I do this. Instead of having a man whip you and tell you, this is the law of the land. The law comes from God. I honor him, and I honor you. I do it willingly. That's boundaries. Two or three witnesses tell the truth. Where does that come from? The Lord. If you remove morality, if you remove God, then who makes the rules, and whose morality do we follow? You make the rules? Is this survival of the fittest? Is this Darwinian? 
Is that how we work? We just devour one another and see who wins? And then we make a super race? Do we divide over color? Melanin content? Gender? Victimization? Are we a nation of laws accountable to God and to each other? Do we realize that we contend with oppress, oppression but not the oppressor? We don't, we don't call the oppressor vile, but we deal with the oppression as vile? You deal with the sin, not the sinner. The sinner has to come to repentance, but we call it what it is. It's wrong. And I don't care what you're doing. You establish a color to it. I can tell you right now that's racist. Always is, always will be. Period. Martin Luther King didn't do that. Reverend King didn't establish a color to it. He addressed the ill and, and the wrongdoing. This, this social justice and critical race theory you're going to find out from Dr. Lindsay in this coming Sunday is not scriptural. It is not correct. And it's very racist. And people need... It. Oh, you know what? I got time. There was, there was a ruling by the IRS this week, someone, uh, a ministry applying for a 501c3. They were denied tax-exempt status as a religious organization because in their bylaws they stated that they are teaching biblical principles for governance. And the IRS said biblical principles are Republican principles, that's partisan, and they denied. I, I, did anyone catch that? This isn't about Republican and Democrat anymore. This is about remove anything having to do with God and the Bible. You're an enemy of the state. That's awful. They, oh, by the way, they're way out over their skis. Uh, every, every attorney in the country is like, I want this one. All persons born, this is the 14th Amendment, by the way, Section 1, all persons born are naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. That comes from Deuteronomy 19. It's kind of cool. Amazing country we've been blessed with. You want to know where those laws come from. Why they put together this constitution, 1787. There were guys like Increase Mather, Pastor Increase Mather, the son of Cotton Mather. Fascinating guy. There was John Wise, Reverend John Wise, another really cool minister. Increase Mather was a president of Harvard John Wise, all these men contended for the scriptures and civil government. When they came over, they had the, the Geneva Bible and, and in the columns of commentary on civil government and how to live together. They pursued these truths and they saw a Republican form of government even in the wilderness with Jethro and Moses, thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, appoint godly men who love the law and not covetous. And they tried to apply these. And, and even in England, when they'd had the Magna Carta and a number of other works, legal works that were established, you started to see the application of God's justice and his desire and his laws established in 
countries and where they became stronger, those nations flourished and had more freedom. And that even happened in America with the founding. Now, before America became a, a nation and with our birth certificate in 1776, prior to that, it was sandwiched as we read in, in, in two great awakenings. And one awakening occurred with the two ministers that I spoke of, and there's a third as well, and many others, including um, Jonathan Mayhew. But they, they, they came up against a snag. And, and they were starting to wander away from civil government and, and feeling as though Christians shouldn't participate in the public square. Well, that was problematic. They left the politics to the politicians, which is very dangerous. And then this occurred. This is one of my favorites because as a new Christian, I used to get picked on all the time by skeptics who'd say, yeah, I don't follow Christianity because of the Inquisition. Millions died. So I did my homework. A little over 100,000 died. 100,000 too many. And the reason why is because you gave the church the sword and they became a nation. It, that's never intended. And that was wrong. Bad. Very bad. And the next was the Crusades. So I did a little study on the Crusades. A lot of people died. But Christian Europe was invaded. That was the Crusades. And if they fought back, they were, re they were regaining territory that had been taken. Just do your homework. But my favorite was this. I can't follow Christianity because of the Salem witch trials. Oh. Wow, what is that? Oh, they just burned witches at the stake. Oh. So I did my homework. Like 27 people died. 27 too many. But no one knows the history of it. And what's interesting is it was ended because of Deuteronomy 19. Oh, time for American history. Don't fall asleep. In early 1692, I'll switch to the, there we go. In early 1692, a group of girls in Salem Village, now the town of Danvers, began to accuse people of witchcraft. Accusations swelled and soon many people had been examined and jailed awaiting trial. It was paranoia. Uh, everyone was scared to death that witches were everywhere. Kind of like the virus right now. You're not tracking me. I thought you'd, you'd pick them. I mean, what we're doing right now is unprecedented over something that is, really doesn't exist all that much. I mean, I know people have gotten sick and some have died with, but not strictly from. I know it's an accelerant, but do you realize what they've done? They've perjured and they've attacked in businesses. I mean, how many business owners have been devastated? Families, jobs. And, and you got to get the vaccine. Now we're watching. But okay, they're going to take me off again. <laughs> Similar to the Salem witch trials, the primary English law about witchcraft was the so-called Witchcraft Act of 1604. Now this is 1692 when this hullabaloo is kicking in. It was an act against conjuration, witchcraft, and dealing with evil, wicked spirits. And this made witchcraft a felony a witch convicted of a minor offense could receive a year in prison, but any witch accused and found guilty a second time was sentenced to death. 
And then under the original royal charter in 1629 for Massachusetts Bay Colony, criminal law was administered by the Court of Assistance, which consisted of governor, deputy governor, and a number of assistants. And there was no statutory criminal law in the colony at the time. And most of them didn't have legal training. The Court of Assistance judged cases and punishments based on what they knew of English law and obviously by their instincts and what they thought was right. And... Um, 1641, the general court, this legislative body, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, drafted the Body of Liberties, a collection of civil criminal laws and rights. Most of these were later included in the colony's first printed compilation of statutes issued as the book of the general laws and liberties concerning the inhabitants of Massachusetts and the Body of Liberties. Now, this, is, this will make sense. They had 12 capital offenses, things you could die for, including witchcraft. The law on witchcraft was short and cited biblical sources for its authority. And this is why you get to kill somebody for witchcraft. And, and they, they didn't go into detail, which is tragic. And people didn't study it, which is even more tragic. Exodus twenty two eighteen: you shall not permit a sorceress to live. But go on, read a little more on that. Deuteronomy 17 was also cited. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord. If there is found among you with any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman, let's see, where's my, oh, hang on, there we go, who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God in transgression, in transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods, worship them, either the sun or moon, uh, uh, or any of the host of heaven which I have not commanded, and has told you and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if indeed it is true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates the man or the woman who has committed that wicked thing. And you shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death. But they didn't quote that part. The, 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 the evidence in these witchcraft act only stated... Deuteronomy 17.2, but yet it goes on to say, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. It was very clear. And what happened is these judges famously accepted spectral evidence and other untrustworthy kinds of evidence as proof of guilt, like PCR testing and It's science. Okay, you're not tracking that. <laughs> the spectral evidence is these young girls would say, I had a dream. I just feel, I feel like I'm a man. Nobody's tracking that? <laughs> and, and based on this spectral evidence and other untrustworthy kinds of evidence as proof of guilt, the magistrates let it be known that the accused witch could avoid execution if they confessed, putting the blame on someone else. This caused the accusations to multiply. And in, uh, something like 19 men were executed by hanging. One was killed by torture. Others died in prison, men and women. It was awful, just absolutely awful. And then along comes this guy named Increase Mather. And he like I said, was the son of Cotton Mather. He was a Puritan. He was a minister. He defended Puritan orthodoxy. And he was the president of Harvard, and he helped guide the church through a very most difficult period 
but he secured the new charter from Massachusetts, and he's the one who contended, and he was used by God to stop the Salem witch trials in America, in the colonies. They continued on in Europe, and thousands died, but in America, only 27 people died. And, and here's the interesting historical aspect to it in the American experience. The trials went from 1691 to 1692, about 18 months. And over the course of those proceedings, as I said, about 27 people were killed or put to death or they died in jail or committed suicide from charges or whatever. And then there were three Christian leaders, Reverend Increase Mather, Reverend John Wise, and Reverend Thomas Bridal. They stepped up and they went to the governor and they said, look, the way these courts are being run, this violates biblical principles of justice, due process. And they go through and they lay out several things that we would call due process today, that you don't accept hearsay testimony, spectral evidence, that you get to confront your accusers. Interesting. All these things that are common for us today, they were radical back then, wasn't being done in the British legal system. So Governor Phipps has Judge Sewell who's overseeing this, stop the trials. He just says, stop it. And some of the trials kept going. And these ministers had laid out this due process and had covered Deuteronomy 19 and laid it out for the, the governor to see and the judge to see and said, this, this, this is justice before God. And one judge in particular had a phobia and he wouldn't let go of it and just thought of witches all day long. He wore a mask to protect himself from him. So he continued to. <laughs> so he continued the trial. This one judge did. He continued the trial. And he wouldn't let go of it. And he wanted to find all these witches guilty. But here's what happened the jury flatly refused, and they wouldn't find them guilty because they had been influenced by the minister. The ministers. And so the jury on several occasions there in the later stages of the witch trials, these Christian leaders had weighed in and, and they said, this is wrong, this is being done wrong, it's not justice being done. They, they, they taught out of Deuteronomy 19, the jury stood up to the judge and said, no, you, you make orders to convict them just as the British court did in the case of William Penn. But they said, we're not doing that. And they stood in opposition. And it was an, a, a fascinating testimony that they contended for man's freedom. And I'll, I'll close with this. The Sixth Amendment annotated, but in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and dis district wherein the crime shall have uh, been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have assistance of counsel for his defense. I mean, this is all stuff that was never afforded to any of the folks in the Salem witch trials, but as a result of what had occurred and the way that Increase Mather and John Wise and other ministers stood in defense, this is why today all of you get to enjoy a legal system that is, well, unmatched in the history of the world. Now, granted, it, it fails in many ways, 
But I will say this. I know people who have been arrested and they are in solitary confinement. They haven't had a trial. They get no visitors. And they are called insurrectionists. And it's happening right now. I know a lot of people who went to the Capitol on January 6th. If that was a bloody revolution, I, I, they were pathetic. I didn't like what happened. Uh, uh, yeah. I'll tell you what. There's a lot of things we could add to it, and that's, that's, a, that's a good one. But now we're saying that many, you know, Tucker Carlson says it looks like it's staged. How do you get to a place in a nation where we can do this with a government? It's because its citizens have neglected what God taught them. We didn't teach our children. We should be at every school board meeting saying, no, not here, not now, not in my community, not now, never. This isn't going to happen. The place should be packed, every school board meeting. You should know, every, there are people that come to me and inform me of what's happening. I'm like, thank you. But this is why God gave us these, for freedom. These are wise restraints that make us free. This allows testimony of honesty. There's no spectral. It just doesn't work that. Spectral evidence, I, I, I feel. I don't care how you feel. Show me the evidence. Where are my accusers? Give me your case. You perjure yourself. You're no longer valid to speak in this court. People come to me and say, who, who should I vote for judge? I do my homework, but I'm telling you, you need to do your homework. It's our government. We're the sovereign. This is for our kids. Deuteronomy 19 is a gift from God for us. He is showing us how to dwell with one another and establish justice in a world that is filled with, with sin. And all of us have that sin nature and we're, we're subject to doing wrong. And we need boundaries. And he gives this to us. And we can't steal our, our neighbors. We can't move the stone. Because if you do, it's still recorded. Because our founders realized this is necessary. Truth must be defended. Boundaries and properties must be defended. This is how we dwell together in a society that protects freedom. We're free from ourselves, free from each other in the sense that we have the ability to have witnesses and truth and contend. And they got it from this. What an amazing country we live in. And, and if that hasn't blessed you by going through Deuteronomy, which most people go, oh God, Deuteronomy, I don't want to go to church. Well, thank God our founders did. And thank God we have what we have. Let's not lose it. This is a gift from God. Let's make sure it's applied in our community at least. Well, in, in our lifetime, we can do that. Let's just make sure we get good judges in Ventura County. Make sure that the school board's operating by this context. And there you have it. Amen? Amen. Happy Father's Day also.
Amen. Well, I'm going to have the worship team come up, and I, I want to pray for all of us. And I, I just, I have to tell you, it's remarkable that pastors want to avoid these texts and, and dismiss them as though uh, that the Old Testament is, you know, there's a new covenant. We don't need the Old Testament. I'm sorry. It, it is as valid today as it always has been. Our founders searched this to come up with a civil government that is a tremendous blessing, and, and pastors need to study to show themselves approved. Workmen need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And, and, and the reason why is it's a lot easier to just say, God bless you, I see your hand. Okay, you got your get out of free card, we'll make the gospel truncated, and, and let me get your tithing information, and don't forget to write a check, and uh, God bless you, I'll see you next week. No, you come in here and the pastor is to rightly divide the word of truth and to study to show himself approved and you need to, to understand your community in which you live because that's our calling and we make disciples of all nations and upon this rock I'll build my public square, my ecclesia and the gates of hell which enslave will not prevail. My people will be equipped to contend for the wise restraints that will make men free. And, and, and maybe it isn't what you signed up for and you want a breath mint and you want me to blow sunshine your way and you go and, you know, really had a wonderful time at church and we, you know, did some smoke and mirrors and a climbing wall or something. I don't know. But you're walking out of here smarter today and it's now time. He who's been given much of him, much is required. God's equipping you to do great things and this republic needs you right now, now more than ever. So dads, light it up. Wives, encourage the dads, moms, and everyone educate the kids, and let's do a new generation that is gonna be oaks of righteousness, and this nation of the people, by the people, and for the people will not perish from the face of the earth. It's a gift from God. So, there you go. Happy Father's Day.